Now, many of you are aware that I'm in a doctoral program in Drew's Theological School, and it's the first cohort of a new program, Public Theology. What is Public Theology? Now, technically, according to the books, Public Theology is theologically informed public discourse about public issues addressed in the church, synagogue, mosque, temple, or other religious body, as well as the larger public or publics argued in ways that can be evaluated and judged by publicly available warrants and criteria. And who wouldn't want to do that? <laughs> I'm in this program to hone my skills at a work evangelical leaders have been at quite a long time to lay claim to moral and ethical leadership in the public debates of our time. As Unitarian Universalists, a people not of creed, but of covenant, it is our time to step forward and ask, whither from here? How shall we lead and follow? Let us not be confused. These are the times that try our souls. There come moments in history when we are tested, when the power of our faith and our most essential values are set upon, and these days shall take the measure of every single one of us. We may measure up or we may fall short, and that accounting shall come at a cost either way. What will save us and keep us moving forward will be the quality and the capacity of Unitarian Universalism in the days ahead, as expressed through the wisdom and courage of our leaders and the determination and will of the people who are its body. I hope it goes without saying that I'm not talking about some generic Unitarian Universalist somewhere out there. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about Reverend Tracy. I mean all of us here today. So let's, let's start with a little talk about love. I feel fairly certain there is no more familiar or generically comforting concept than love. But the question has to be, what do we mean when we say love? Poetry and music throughout history have glorified it, but were the Beatles right when they proclaimed, all you need is love? When I speak of love, I am not speaking of some sentimental and weak response. I am speaking of that force which all of the great religions have seen as the supreme unifying principle of life. Love is the most durable power in the world, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King proclaimed years ago. Love, as I and many religious progressive understand it, is dangerous. We advocate for love that surprises, disrupts and alters the status quo, that expresses itself in diverse ways, that comes in rainbow colors. Those who want to preserve the existing social and economic order invest in prohibiting such love says the Reverend Dr. Rebecca Parker, the former president of Star King School for the Ministry, somewhat more recently. Now, if we are wasting our time, we are wasting our time, and indeed, we're even putting our lives and future at grave risk. If we think 
that getting together and talking about a comforting and a warm and embracing love is what the world needs. That's not what I'm talking about today. I'm talking about a tidal force of love, a love that rips us out of our comfort zone, a love that can crush and destroy that which stands against it, a love that can carry us above the powers and principalities of this world and wash us up on shore of a new country, if we can but wide its waves, if we can harness its power. Love is Shiva, creation, destruction, regeneration. So let us agree this afternoon that the love we're talking about here isn't a sweet love. It isn't the love that we might have for each other personally. It's the creative, transformative power of life itself, which demands everything and yet is itself the source of everything we might long for, justice, peace, compassion, belonging. If you think about it this way, this is a reflection on the question of love's power. And one thing that progressives, religious or otherwise, are often accused of, and I think with some good reason, is an unwillingness to fully embrace power. This is because we might rightly be leery of the models of power we have experienced, namely cis-heteropatriarchal, maybe white supremacist, a form of power over that has always held dominion. And we progressive or liberal religionists feel in our guts that this transforming power of love, we think it works differently, but we're hesitant. We don't fully understand how to enter into it or, or to take it into our hands and work with it. So too often, we stand meekly aside and let it wash past us and we demur from engaging in what is, after all, the greatest power in the universe. We are timid. Maybe we're afraid. Afraid, for example, of making a mistake, of being wrong, or looking foolish. This is not a game. We are not going to win. These are the words of the Reverend Nancy McDonald Ladd, who, by the way, as you heard before, will be talking about her amazing new book, After the Good News, at 3 p.m. here today. In her article, Nothing We Do Will Be Perfect, she said, I heard myself saying those words to myself and leaders in the Racial Justice Task Force at the congregation I serve. Collectively, we are just about the best that the liberal church has to offer. Our racial justice leaders come from different backgrounds and different generations. We are learning and struggling at the intersections of class, race, gender, ethnicity. We are multiracial, although still predominantly white. We are committed and we are steadily advancing both in our own consciousness and in our capacity to combat the injustices of the world. To the very best architects, of an anti-oppressive future my congregation has to offer, I found myself declaring, nothing in the work of dismantling racism and opposing white supremacy is inherently doable, and nothing that you or any of us bring into this work will ultimately result in what we might perceive to be a perfect outcome, 
especially one so gloriously successful that people of color among us will line us to give the white people gold stars for all our efforts. We are not going to win. Nothing we do will be perfect. That's the thing about what we do in public. Our mistakes will be in full view. We'll sometimes fumble. We'll often feel awkward or on the spot. Sometimes we'll forget a really important piece of the worship. <laughs> Yet we will still be doing something critical, showing up to share our values, make our voices heard in the public square. People who felt alone, who did not know there was a faith like ours in religious life, they will feel less alone. Our moral concerns will not be nurtured discreetly in comfortable enclaves, but will take up their battle stations in the fight for the common good. Most of all, we will add our strength to those who have long been in the battle. When we take our faith into the public square, we can stand with those who need us not to take the lead, but rather to listen and support their work and their efforts so they are less alone in the struggle for justice. We may come as the relief forces. Our efforts might just tip the scales. What is public theology? It's a newly minted Unitarian Universalist minister arriving in Montgomery, Alabama and finding herself in the middle of a dispute about a new hog farm, as Reverend Tracy did once upon a time. There were protests against the development of the pig farm along US Highway 80 between Montgomery and Selma. This was the route of the famous Selma to Montgomery Civil Rights March. Along the highway is also a historic markers, many of them, but one including a Unitarian martyr, Viola Laiuzzo, mother of five, civil rights activist who was murdered by the Ku Klux Klan after transporting other activists to the Montgomery airport. Tracy immediately joined in the protests that eventually prevented the farm from being built. It would have had devastating ecological and environmental impacts, but it would also have meant the devastation of this historic route. If you travel along it today, Viola Liuzzo's marker still stands. But public theology is also what was happening when Tracy went into prisons in Alabama to be a chaplain to inmates, or the labor she and her son Isaac did in Guatemala with the Siena Project, building a school. As her husband David describes it, Tracy isn't afraid to roll up her sleeves, get involved, and make a difference. That is the kind of love we need to be talking about. That's the way public theology is truly manifested, not just in words, but in deeds. If we are truly called to the transforming power of love, then it means we are called to be transformed by others and to transform the world in the direction of our deepest values. As the activist and poet Arundhati Roy says, Another world is not only possible, she is on her way. On a quiet day, I can hear her breathing. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has been quoting Thomas Paine recently. 
She has told her colleagues that the times have found us. Indeed, the times have found us all. The only question is, will we answer this particular call of love? Will we take our Unitarian Universalist faith out into the world with us and proclaim the good news of a transforming power of love that has convicted us? Or will we keep our moral convictions a secret? In which case, I would suggest that they are not convictions at all. Let me close with the words of a gifted colleague and a woman of passion and conviction, Tracy Sprouse, who said in her sermon, justice doesn't have a snooze button. We need to be optimistic that we can affect change and that our voices matter. We cannot let cynicism prevent us from showing up at the voting booth, showing up with our signs of protest, or showing up to aid a neighbor. Hope matters. And while hope and optimism are not the same thing, they walk hand in hand. And nothing worthwhile gets done alone. We need each other to make a difference in our communities and in our country. We like to talk about rugged individualism as a hallmark of being an American, but that is a myth. Anything of lasting importance and value has happened because people came together to make it happen. That is the nature of a transforming, world-altering love. To the power of a love like that, I say, amen, ashe, and may it be so.